verse. Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Oh, that thy love were by all adored and welcomed at any cost. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sitting. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story of pardon to tell. Number three. How shall this passion for souls be mine? Lord, make thou the answer clear. Help me to throw out the old lifeline to those who are struggling near. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story of pardon to tell. You may be seated. All right, I'm going to read a missionary letter here from the Thatchers. There are missionaries to Waterford, Ireland. I believe, Brother Matt, there's some pictures of uh, their work. So if you could just kind of scroll through those while I'm uh, reading the letter, if they're there. Okay, very good. Dear friends, it says this. Last year was filled with many events and challenges, coupled with uh, plenty of opportunities to give out the gospel. And looking back over the year, it was exciting to see how many people we were able to cross paths with and have divine appointments to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. One family that we had been working on left the country back at the end of the summer. Strangely enough, things apparently did not work out, and we just found out a week ago that they moved. they have moved back. Also, just this past week, we have uh, another new contact simply simply stated a woman who desperately needs Christ. It was a big answer to prayer that she came to church for the first time on last Sunday of 2017, during which the gospel was clearly interwoven into the message on what truly made the wise men wise. Several of our church folks have had and are having some real life challenges life-changing events, spiritual battles, and assaults of Satan, as well as God's answers to prayer and his blessings along the way. Another long-time goal and prayer request has come to pass in the, last, in the last month of 2017. The Lord has allowed us to move from the meeting at our hotel to our own rented space, which now we now have 24-7 access we are in the end unit of the back of a sort of small V-shaped retail unit building. Uh, this location is just off the, the main road leading out of Waterford in the Cork direction. The location houses a cafe, a Sony Center, tile shop, curtain and blinds shop, and across from us is an auto parts shop, a charity shop, tire center, and another flooring place. It would be nice to have all that stuff right next to church, wouldn't it? Especially the, the coffee shop. Um, all the kids were excited as Smith Toy Stores across the road and McDonald's is just down from there. Uh, one big blessing is that most of these shops in our retail unit are closed on Sunday. So there's plenty of parking for us, which is a big deal. It is extremely hard to find a meeting place and have parking. The unit that we are in previously housed a hair salon and was left in extreme disarray. Our folks came together and worked hard alongside our family to repair 
this facility and transform it into our church. The laminate flooring had been put in too tightly and it had buckled. The wallpaper was dark gray brick, uh, was uh, coming off in several places. The ceiling tiles were nasty looking and disintegrating. There were no heating units in the large main room and there were electrical outlets and wires everywhere. It was a great day when the skip, Irish of a, uh, for a dumpster, arrived to take away a large pallet, three and a half uh, 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 foot high, full of old ceiling tiles, along with 28 large uh, black rubbish <laughs> bags stuffed full of trash and several other pieces of, of odd and ends, uh, several pieces of odd, odd and ends of your basic junk. We worked right up through Sunday the 23rd to, have, uh, to be able to have our first service on the 24th. As a church, we were able to come together for that first service and celebrate our Christmas Sunday and our special Christmas evening service and fellowship. The remainder of the work is to do all of the trim work, complete the floor tile for the second bathroom that was left undone, do some minor work on the hall and kitchen walls and ceiling, have the alarm installed, get some tea mugs, very important, build a pulpit and get some uh, signage. We are extremely grateful for one of our churches that has faithfully supported our family from the early days of deputation, which uh, sent funds to cover the cost of our table and chairs. We are equally grateful for our home church that sent funds as well to help with the cost of the ceiling tiles, heating and walls. Uh, This help was certainly needed and definitely a major blessing. And uh, it says thanks again for praying and supporting our family. May the Lord find us faithful, Don and Lisa Thatcher and family. So what a neat report, right? God's um, using them to do a great work. They're in Ireland. Okay, on the other side of the pond, as they say. All right, ushers, make your way forward. And we'll pray for the Thatcher family. Um, make sure that you're faithful in your giving. Uh, I assume all of you here got a, faith, uh, got a, uh, a commitment card, financial commitment card, about the uh, upgrade of the parking lot. We'll be doing a different project every quarter. And so this quarter is the parking lot. Don't forget about those. Don't forget to pray about that and be ready to turn those in this Sunday. Let's pray for the Thatcher family and then the offering. Lord, thank you for giving the Thatcher family such a a wonderful facility to meet in, a place they can have uh, private access to uh, uh, 24-7. And then, Lord, uh, the hard work that went into renovating it, no doubt that, uh, Lord, that effort strengthened their church family as they labored together to uh, uh, get their facilities ready. And Lord, what an exciting uh, time that was for them. And Lord, the future is bright for them, it sure looks. And we pray for these people that have been visiting that need Jesus. May they be saved. May they grow. And Lord, may you give them fruit that remains. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, people who come to know uh, salvation and then grow thereby. And Lord, we pray for the offering tonight that you would use uh, all the monies put in the plate to further the gospel both here and around the world. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in our giving. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's take our hymnals one last time. Turn, please, to hymn 310, Room at the Cross for You. We'll sing the first and the last. cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and its grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea there's room at the cross for you There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Number three. The hand of my Savior is strong, and the love of my Savior is long. Through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. All right. Thank you, Brother Barone and Melissa. Thank you for your help with the song service this evening. Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1. Once you find that, you can stand. Lots of events coming up for the whole family. Get your uh, children involved in our children's activities, your teenagers involved in those, and you adults, uh, there's things for young adults, there's things for not-so-young adults, things for everybody. So get involved, you'll be glad you did. All right, let's look at the first four verses tonight, and then we'll, um, you know, we'll be looking at another passage uh, for introduction next, next week here. This will help us get the book kicked off here in the book of Luke. It says there in verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, uh, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, Uh, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And so we'll look tonight at Jesus, the Son of Man. Let's pray. I ask tonight, God, that you'd help us as we look at the humanity of our Savior. Uh, Lord, uh, so much more complex than that. But Lord, how that through the book of Luke, you took time to emphasize that yes, you were God on earth, but you were God robed in flesh. Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you know our aches and pains and our sorrows and our hurts because you were one of us. You became one of us. And Lord, um, you can relate with us on such a deep level. 
Thank you for that. And I ask tonight that you help us to understand the Bible and to make applications where needed. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, as we so often do in this series, let's take a look at some of the background of the book and then we'll jump into uh, the outline here. Luke, uh, I, I find it funny when I'm doing research on some of these books because, you know, the book is like named after the person who wrote it. But then there's like debate amongst the theologians about who wrote the book. And I'm like, look at the name of the book. You can figure that out. You know, it's not that complicated. And there's this big heated debate about who wrote the book of Mark. It's like Mark wrote the book of Mark. You don't have to uh, argue about that. And, uh, but uh, nonetheless, Luke wrote the book. Now, that's obvious, right? But who was Luke and uh, what can we... Uh, know about him as far as helping us to understand how God would use his personality uh, and his uh, wherewithal to uh, help pen the Bible. Now, I'll say this, we've talked a lot about the Bible, especially on Sunday morning. Uh, the, mo- the month of January was planned this way, was meant to establish the authority of the Bible. I believe we've done a pretty good job of that on Sunday mornings. We've, uh, we have proven the authority, of, or rather the the preservation of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible first, and the preservation of the Bible, and then how God preserved His Word into the English language. And we have the King James Version of the Bible that uh, we hold in our laps. We know that it is the perfect Word of God for the English-speaking people, and that was given to us. But we've talked about how that God told them exactly what to write. Uh, But the interesting thing about that is that God allowed where God used the personalities and the background of that person in telling them what to write so that uh, the words would be interwoven with their personalities. You find that all throughout the Bible. That Don't take that anything away from God in that. In fact, add that to God's superiority, that he could use someone's personality but still uh, pin down every word. To me, that's marvelous. But So we really uh, see here... When we see here who Luke was and what he did for a profession, it helps us to be able to respect the fact that God would use Luke to write about him being a man. Turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is uh, right past the book of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you have those four um, uh, Pauline epistles, one right after the other. Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 14. And Paul tells us exactly who Luke was, or rather what Luke did for a profession. We don't have to guess at it. We don't have to go to a history book other than the Bible because um, Paul makes that clear for us. Um, Colossians 4 verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, if you know much about Paul, we'll talk about him more in a few weeks here. you know much about Paul, you know he needed a physician. He was always getting beat up. kicked, thrown in pits and stoned and uh, uh, beaten. And he needed someone to wrap up his wounds and put the, the ointment in there and, and really uh, keep him going. As fast and hard as Paul ministered, he needed a good physician. Now, Paul traveled with a missionary team, and Luke was on that team. Luke was on that team. So Luke was a doctor by trade. He was a physician by trade. So Luke knew the human body as well as anybody would have back then. Uh, he, uh, obviously, medicine's much farther advanced now than it was then. But Luke uh, was consumed with the anatomy of the human body and helping people 
uh, in sick time. So Luke was a physician. Luke was a companion of Paul. And we know that Luke wrote both the books of Luke and Acts. And really, um, uh, Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. If you uh, take the book of John uh, out from the middle of Luke and Acts, and you go from the end of Luke and you jump right into Acts, it's very obvious that uh, that uh, you're just getting the second book that Luke, uh, God used Luke there to write uh, to continue that story on. So uh, he, he now Luke would write the letter to a man named Theophilus. We don't know anything about Theophilus, anything. Um, you really can't find much in history books about him. And on top of that, other than his name being mentioned in the beginning of Luke and Acts, there's nothing else in the Bible about him. So clearly God didn't want us to know a whole lot about Theophilus. But Luke was writing the letter to Theophilus, but really God was using Luke to write this letter to uh, everybody. And uh, so we see again, uh, just to review, we started out this, uh, started out the, the Gospels here back three weeks ago. We looked at Matthew, took two weeks to look at the book of Matthew, and we said out of Matthew, the emphasis uh, about Jesus was that he was what? He was a king. He was a king. Uh, some of you that weren't here or you were sleeping or you're sleeping now. So wake up. Amen. All right. So Jesus was king last week. See if you can pass the test. Uh, Mark portrays Jesus as a as a servant. There you go. Now you're awake. As a servant. And we talked about how there is no genealogy in Mark because nobody cares about the background of a slave. Nobody cares about his parents and where he came from. And we looked at how Jesus was the suffering servant last week. This week, the emphasis is on Jesus as being the Son of Man. And we'll see some uh, some prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus being the Son of Man. Um, in fact, Jesus would call Himself the Son of Man in the Gospels 81 times. He did not use any other title to describe Himself more than the title of Son of Man. And... Uh, now, on a very bare basic level, that term son of man just means he's the son of a man. He's the son of mankind. That's what it means. But because Jesus used that term so many times, everyone else in history behind that would avoid that term in describing anybody else. That term became reserved for Jesus alone, being the Son of Man. We'll also see that it was used quite a bit in the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Ezekiel uses it over and over and over and over again. And Jesus would fulfill a lot of what Ezekiel was talking about. Time will not allow us to get into all that. We'll look at a different Old Testament occurrence of that here in a minute. And then in the book of John, we see that Jesus is the Son of God. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks here. And so tonight we're going to look closely at how Jesus was the Son of Man, His humanity and what Him being a human allowed Him to do walking the earth and how we can learn from that example. Let's jump into the outline here and move quickly through it. Number one, notice the miraculous births. The miraculous births. So the book of Luke opens up talking about two different births and um, both of them being miraculous. All right. Uh, so letter A, we see the peculiar messenger, the peculiar messenger here. Look with me at uh, chapter one, verse uh, verse number five. It says there, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, uh, a certain priest named Zacharias as of uh, as of of the course of uh, Abia. 
and his wife of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, verse 6, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord uh, uh, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and uh, they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here, and then I'll just share the rest of the story with you is that um, uh, you find a couple of commonalities here in this passage and then many other examples of it by humans in the Bible. The first one is that uh, when he saw an angel, he was terrified. Now, you get this also out of Mary in a couple minutes, that Mary saw an, an angel and she was also scared. We're much more familiar with the account of Mary because... Most of you grew up Catholic and because we talk about Mary at least every Christmas, right? But uh, we know that account. But listen, Zacharias being a man, being a spiritual man, working in the temple, when he saw an angel, he also was terrified. The reason being is that when you saw an angelic being, the fear was he was going to kill you. He was going to kill you. And he was terrified. That's the first thing I want to point out, that there's some commonality there. There was a reverence for uh, angels. There was a reverence for God there uh, from people. The second thing I want to point out is that he had been praying long and hard for something, but he never actually believed he was going to get it. You ever been guilty of that? You ever been guilty of that? He's praying and praying and praying. Lord, give my, give us a, a child. Give us a child. And they had gotten past the point of childbearing years. But he kept on praying. And an angel comes and says, Hey, Zacharias, your wife is going to bear you a son. And he basically told the angel, if you read on down there through verse 25, I don't believe you. And the angel said, Okay, well, I'm going to punish you since you don't believe me. And your punishment is that you're not going to be able to talk until the child's born. So he comes out of the temple, and everybody's like, man, what took you so long? And he's moving his hands around. He doesn't know sign language. And I guess he got really good at at shorthand and writing fast, because for the next 9 to 10 to 11 months, however long it was between that moment and the the time John was born, um, he didn't say a whole lot. I wonder when he got home, uh, he probably came in with a board already written out, or a scroll already written out what was going on. And, you know, most men don't have a lot to say when they get home from work. And so he probably walked in the door and, and having been away from his wife for a time doing his work there, and Elizabeth was like, hey, how are you, Zacharias? <laughs> read this. He couldn't even say read this. And so she read it, and I bet they got expecting pretty quick after that. Excited. I'm sure she was thrilled to death. And so uh, in her old age... She became pregnant, and she became pregnant with a very peculiar young man. You can read on down later, but we know about John the Baptist, that he would live in the desert. He would eat uh, uh, locust and wild honey. What kind of diet is that? Locust, lots of protein, 
and wild honey. Um, but the people respected him. Because, man, he preached and he preached hard and he told it straight. And Elizabeth had a, 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 uh, a niece, or rather, let's see, uh, a cousin. That's the right title there. And her name was Mary. Her name was Mary. Look at verse 26. Luke chapter 1. We see let her be the promised Messiah. So we're talking about two peculiar births here. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. So you get the same response. She's terrified of the angel as well. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I am not, I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come unto thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, uh, she, hath, uh, also, uh, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, uh, who, shall, uh, who, who is called barren. For uh, uh, with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So you read on down, and God also visits uh, Joseph and has to convince him, Hey, Joseph, don't put away your wife. Don't, don't do anything to this girl. Um, um, she's telling you that she's going to have the promised Messiah. I know other women in the past have used that as a cover-up. It's actually true this time. She's not lying to you. She is going to have the promised Messiah. And you need to hold on to this gal because she's still a virgin. Her purity's still intact. And she's going to have this child. And we know that Mary uh, would have this child. If you read on down through the book of Luke, you get both... Uh, some some songs, some uh, poetic songs, both from Mary and then uh, from Elizabeth as they praise the Lord for their children. Another interesting uh, thing you find here is that uh, uh, Mary got out of Dodge from the gossip circle in Nazareth and she went to where Elizabeth lived just to have some respite, just to get a break from all the gossip and all the, 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 uh, the talking of her. And when she arrived, this is so cool, she got in the presence of John... And, uh, I, you know, I think in, in digital terms sometimes, the first Bluetooth connection was made, wound to wound. Uh, uh, what happened is that there was a sync that happened there. And I don't mean S-I-N-K, I mean S-Y-N-C. Jesus got in the presence of John, and John, man, he leaped in the womb. He knew he was in the presence of the Savior. He knew he was in the presence of something great. And uh, and they were going to be a great one-two punch. John was going to come in and prepare the people, prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus was going to come in right behind that as the way had been prepared. 
And so we see here that you have uh, quite a, a dynamic duo. You have John the Baptist being born. He would be the baptizer. He would baptize people. Uh, and then Jesus would come behind being the Messiah. Both of them uh, having uh, 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 miraculous births. Both of them having uh, uh, specific reasons on being put uh, on earth. Both of them being a fulfillment of prophecy. In the Old Testament, you have uh, prophecies about a second coming of Elijah. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the second coming of Elijah. He would come to earth and he would prepare the way of the Lord. And, and then in, in uh, would come Jesus. So chapters 1 and uh, chapters 2 tell those stories. We don't have time to get into it tonight, but uh, chapter 2 also gives us the only look into the life of Jesus as a teenager. And uh, we see the story there of him debating with uh, the, the uh, scribes and the elders and showing them up and then being amazed that this 12-year-old boy uh, knew so much. Of course he did. He was God. He had created the, the very uh, uh, scribes he was debating with. Um, Many people would ask, at what point did Jesus realize who he was? I don't know. I don't know that. I don't think anybody does. But I believe it was at a pretty early age. Pretty early age. Look at verse 52 of chapter 2. This is a great parenting verse. Um, parents, you need to raise well-rounded children. Verse 52 talks about the four areas of growth. Jesus increased in wisdom... That's an academic growth. Stature, physical growth. In favor with God, that's a spiritual growth. In favor with man, that's a social growth. You make sure that all four of those your children are growing in. They're developing in those. Academic growth. Um, you know what I would say about a mom and dad who don't put their kids in school and don't teach them how to read and write? Say they're abusing their children. You have a lot of kids who are academically smart but spiritually dumb. Could I not make a case that you're abusing your child? I would say spiritual growth is at least on the same level as academic growth. And we got a bunch of parents who are raising kids who are spiritual on some level, and they're academic in some level, and they're physically they're growing because they're eating, but socially they're just as backwards. They're just as backwards as a football bat. They're just backwards. Listen, expose your children to other children. Don't shelter them where they can't even spend time with kids their age. And so, raise a well-rounded child. Jesus was raised to be a well-rounded individual. We see the miraculous birth. Number two, let's look at the Messiah's endorsement. The Messiah's endorsement. Jesus uh, grows up and he's the son of a carpenter named Joseph. And so, he takes on the trade of a carpenter until the age of 30. At the age of 30, he would begin his earthly ministry. Again, John's in the wilderness. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, uh, make his, his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then saith he to the multitudes that cometh forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers! 
Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of come? Speaking to the Pharisees there. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And bring not to say within yourself, we have Abraham uh, 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 to our fathers. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid upon the root of the trees. Every uh, tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, what shall we do them? He answered and said, saith unto them, uh, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath not, and he that hath meat, let him do otherwise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, uh, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Ex- Exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. So you get here the message that uh, John is preaching a radically different message than the Pharisees. And the people, uh, uh, Jesus, we'd, we'd see later in a debate with the Pharisees, the, uh, the Pharisees admitted that the people revealed or revered John as being a prophet from God. And so uh, he was the people's prophet, people's prophet. And so uh, uh, we see that he was endorsed by letter A, the people's prophet. Look down at uh, verse 21, and here we see the public ministry of Jesus beginning. The Bible says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. Well, who baptized him? John the Baptist did. Other accounts of this tell us that John the Baptist didn't want to baptize Jesus. John the Baptist would say, look, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoe or buckle your shoe. And you want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, John, you should be baptizing me because I told you to baptize me. Yes, sir. (laughs) Right away. I guess I should use my right hand. Yes, sir. Right away. And so he got down in the Baptist uh, into the Jordan River there and he baptized Jesus, so Jesus was endorsed by this, the people's prophet, but beyond that, and, and way more important than that, we see that uh, the Messiah's endorsement, he was endorsed by the Trinity's presence. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. Now, when, it all, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, And this is God the Father. Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Only a few times in the Bible we see on earth the presence of the Trinity all together at once. This is one of them. This is special. This is special. Listen, uh, some of you here, uh, maybe, maybe, looking around the room to see if this would apply. I don't know if it does or not. Some of you here have not yet been baptized since you were saved. Can you see in this passage getting baptized is important? Let me tell you something about this. Jesus did not need to get baptized. He was God. He had no sin. You say, why did he get baptized? He's trying to tell us that if I get baptized, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. Baptism has no power to it, but it does have great symbolism for it. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've repented from your unbelief and put your faith and trust in Jesus. The getting baptized is a symbol. It identifies you with Christ. I wear a wedding ring on my fourth finger of my left hand. And uh, if I'm out in public and some lady tries to get some kind of ideas, I don't know why that would ever happen. I don't see why it would ever happen. But, hey, you know, there are desperate women out there. And so some desperate woman uh, gets some kind of idea, uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out uh, you know, where the where the uh, particular brand of spaghetti sauce my wife wants me to buy. You know, they've got a hundred of them. And I'm, 
uh, you know, I'm looking up and down and I'm lost and, you know, I have no clue what I'm doing. I end up usually picking the most expensive one because I figure, hey, the more expensive, the better the quality, right? I can't go wrong. And I'm, I'm looking at it and some woman's standing there and she glances down at my left hand and she sees that guy right there. You know what she says to herself? If she's got any character. He's taken. He's taken. This identifies me with that lovely gal right there. You know what happens when you get baptized? You tell the world, I'm not identifying with a human. I'm identifying with my Savior. I'm identifying with God. I can't think of a better person to be identified with. Listen, if He was willing to hang uh, uh, on a cross naked for you, aren't you willing to get into a baptistry that's warm most of the time and identify with Him? Sunday it wasn't quite as warm as it should have been. Uh, but uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, whatever, we need to be willing to identify with Christ. And here we see the Trinity's presence. Don't any let, okay, listen, uh, 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 we, we talked about Sunday, the, the King James Bible, why we use it. And we showed all the different variations out there. I, my favorite was the Proverbs 18.24 with friends in quotation or in uh, scare quotes there, right? Uh, and uh, how they mess that verse up royalty. But one of the verses that gets either deleted out of other versions, uh, or there's a footnote there about it being added later, is an attack on the Trinity in 1 John 5, it, it, where it says, these three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. These three are one. That's taken out of a lot of Bibles. And they say, it was later added in later manuscripts. No, no, no. That was always there. If someone wants to argue with you about the Trinity, take them to Luke. Here you have all three represented right there in the Bible. So we see letter B, we get that up there, uh, letter B, the Trinity's presence, the Trinity's presence. All right, let's go forward here and move on to number three. We see the book's main emphasis, and really the rest of the study in, in Luke will, uh, will revolve around this thought. Uh, the book's main emphasis. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 23. I'm sorry, I got the wrong... Uh, uh, the wrong chapter there, both in your notes as well as uh, uh, the other. Chapter 3, verse 23. Chapter 3, verse 23. Typo on my part. Now, let's be honest tonight. How many of you, when you get to this right here in your Bible reading, you get to verse 24 and you go, Oh, I'm skipping to chapter 4, verse 1. How many do that? Raise your hand. Be honest, don't lie to me. How many of you actually sit there and read every single name? Good for you, wow. Wow. You know, I ought to do responsive reading one, one day around this passage. That would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Um, i got to be honest with you. I don't always read all the names when I get to a genealogy. I'll do a, um, you know, like a speed read. And just zoop, 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 zoop. You know, when you're, you know, you're taking your finger and you're moving line by line, and someone walks in the room and your finger just keeps on moving. You know what I mean? I, I might do one of those. Uh, this is significant. This, this is really significant. Now, letter A, we see the information, the information of the genealogy. Um, you've got from Matthew... Uh, or rather, uh, you have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me see here. Uh, you have all the way from Math, uh, Joseph all the way back to Adam. This takes us all the way back to the first human being. Now that's significant. Letter B, let's look at 
the um, importance of the genealogy. The importance of the genealogy. Now, in Matthew, we get the lineage of Christ through Mary. And guess what? Mary was a, uh, of the tribe of Judah. Tribe of Judah. You say, why is that important? Because David was of the tribe of Judah. You can trace Mary's lineage all the way back through David and then all the way back through to Judah. You'd say, well, Joseph was not technically the father of, of Jesus. He was the stepfather. That is true, but you must understand the way Israeli culture works. The stepfather, which would have been uh, uh, the one raising the child, uh, that would have been the paternal role in his life, uh, uh, by law, by custom, it mattered his lineage. And we find here that Jesus was the son of a man and a man that traced all the way back to Adam. Now, I love the, the symmetry of the Bible. Um, I was t- telling Pastor Dave um, uh, earlier this week, we were talking about some of the symmetry of the Bible. I'll tell you one of the things I've really learned in this through the Bible study is how symmetrical and orderly the Bible is. It is on a level that is hyper, hyper symmetrical. Um, there's more order in the Bible than you and I could ever understand. Most of the Old Testament minor prophets are symmetrical in uh, uh, the way their poems laid out very carefully. Each one has a, a, a purpose to cover. We looked at some of that in the past. I didn't always go into that detail, but uncovered that in my studies. And we talked about how Matthew's got five different sections in it. Remember we talked about that? And there's an introduction around a conclusion. And uh, uh, here we see that there is even symmetry in the generations. Now, from Adam to Abraham, there are 14 generations. You can go down and count the names. 14 generations. Guess how many generations there are from Abraham to David? 14. Guess how many generations there are from David to Jesus? 14. Now, if you were smart and you were reading through the genealogies back before Jesus was born, you could have figured out, or rather, you could have guesstimated pretty close to when Jesus was going to be born. You could have looked around and said, hey, this group of children growing up, only the daughters of, 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 of Judah, of the line of David, are going to have a child. It's going to be one of these couple of hundred girls. It has to be. Now, most people weren't counting. I wouldn't have been counting, but uh, uh, if you would have, hey, it was all there. I've, I've been curious. I've not done the study, and I'd be interested, interested to see if someone has. If, we, if we've gone 14 or 28 generations uh, from uh, Jesus there and where we are in that spectrum, if someone's done that study, bring me your notes. I would love, love, love to see it there. But uh, turn over to Daniel chapter 7. Hold your place there in Luke. Daniel chapter 7. And uh, look at verse 13 with me. I talked about how that Jesus was the Son of Man. And I'm going to make some really neat applications about that here in a minute here. Look at Daniel chapter 7. And in the book of Daniel, you have a lot of dreams that are prophetic that fit in well with uh, the book of Revelation, fit in perfect with the book of Revelation. In fact, um, the book of Revelation really completed a lot of the mystery of Daniel and uh, uh, some of what was uh, dreamed by Daniel. By the way, Daniel had these dreams and he pinned them down. And he had no idea, in some cases, what he was even writing. But, but God knew. God knew. And God knew he was going to have John write Revelation. And the two would fit together hand in glove. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the cloud of heaven. 
and came to the Ancient of Days, that's a title for God the Father, and they brought him near before him, and there was uh, given him dominion and glory in the kingdom. Now this is important, look at this, that all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, uh, that uh, uh, which should not be destroyed. Now, by Jesus being the son of David, that made him a king. That made him royalty. Okay, watch this. This is key. By Jesus not only being the son of David, but backing it up to Abraham, that made Jesus the king of the Jews. That makes sense? But because Jesus was not just the son of David and the son of Abraham, but the son of Adam, that makes Jesus the king of the entire human race. That also makes Jesus a human king of the entire human race. He's not just this divine spirit in heaven. He is one, he was 100 and still is 100% God, 100% man. Now, why is that important? Do you know that Jesus could not have thirsted at the well if he was not man? But if he wasn't God, he couldn't have saved your soul. Do you know that Jesus wouldn't have slept in the boat if he was just 100% God? But because he was 100% man, he slept in the boat. And then when the storm arose and they were in peril, he stood up and his 100% Godship allowed him to calm the storm. You see how this works? You see how he's both 100% man and 100% God? Now, John puts a strong emphasis on the Son of God part. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But it's important to understand that he is a man. He is one of us. He is God incarnate. God incarnate. The word carne or carne in Spanish uh, is meat. Meat. You've probably seen chile con carne. Chile with meat. And so he was man, flesh, wrapped in flesh. He was God wrapped in flesh. And so he understands our hurts, our pains, because he was one of us. Listen, tonight I want to say this and I want you to hear me. Some of you came in the door tonight with a heavy, heavy heart. And you wonder how God in heaven could really know what it's like to go through what you're going through. You ever um, had someone try to console you and you're like, come on, man. You have no idea what I'm going through. Usually, like, someone super rich tries to comfort someone who's super poor. You're like, listen, you got money coming out of your ears. You don't know what it's like to not know where the next meal's coming from. Don't try and console me. Don't pretend like you know what I'm going through. I think sometimes Christians can have that attitude toward God. You're the king of the universe. You got angels and, and you created creatures to sit in your throne room and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You have it all. How could you possibly know what I'm going through? Because he is 100% man and he suffered. He suffered. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. If I have a young lady come to my office who's been through a brutal divorce and an abusive situation, or rather 
a young lady, a better illustration would be a young lady who comes to my office whose dad left and abandoned her. I can give my sympathy, but I can't give my empathy. But I can bring my wife in. She can sit in that chair right next to you and she can put her arm around her. She can say, I know what it's like. Been there. You know, there's no hurt you can't go through where God can't sit in the chair next to you and wrap his arm around you and say, I know what it feels like. I've been there. Because he's been through every hurt that you could experience. He's the son of man. He's the son of man. Number four, we see the son of man's mission. If we don't make it all the way through the outline tonight, that's okay because there's a part two next week and we'll just take the part of the outline that's not covered and move it on to next week's lesson here, next week's sermon. We see his mission. Turn to chapter 4 and look at verse 18 and we find a quotation out of Isaiah 61. Jesus comes back into his own city of Nazareth. No one really at this point knows that he's a divine being, a divine, uh, that he's divinity. They just know him as Jesus, the carpenter's son. He walks in to the synagogue and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah. He stands up in front of the people. Look at verse 18. He begins to read what we know as Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now I'm sure they all looked at him like, What? You're just the carpenter's son. Oh, no, 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 no. He was so much more than the carpenter's son. I love the Old Testament because there's a lot of uh, double meanings that go on, especially in Messianic-type psalms or Messianic prophecies. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 or 4, he was meaning that, or he thought that was meant for him. And it was, but on such a greater level, it was meant for, for this moment right here. Jesus would step up. The Son of Man's mission, letter A, to be a preacher. To be a preacher. What was he to preach? Well, we see back in Isaiah 61, uh, and I don't believe this will be on the screen in your notes, but if you want to jot this down below that, uh, uh, to be a preacher, he was to be a preacher of the gospel to the poor. The gospel to the poor. Now, that word poor there, if you look up the root word for poor in both the Greek and then go back to the Hebrew and you look at the other instances that that same Greek or Hebrew word is used in your Bible there, what you find is that word poor is not just addressing people who don't have money. It's a much broader idea than that, a much greater concept than that. This is not just talking about those who are financially poor. While it's talking about that, it's also talking about people who were social rejects. Social rejects. Uh, for instance, Matthew, Matthew was not fiscally poor, but he sure was socially poor. Okay? Women, by and large. And by the way, the book of Luke honors women more than any other book in the Bible. 
If you want to think that the Bible puts women down and suppresses their role, read the book of Luke. Man, it really picks them up and really makes a big deal out of them, even against the culture of that time. It's phenomenal to see that God is the greatest believer in feminism, not in the way it's used today, but feminism in the Bible. He really is. And don't ever, ever, ever let anybody tell you that the Bible is an anti-female book because they're lying to you and they don't know their stuff. God values women on such a high level. Such a high level. But back in that day, women were social outcasts. They just were. That was the culture. And it was wrong, but it was the culture. Um, he said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor. Those who don't seem to fit. We see here that uh, he, his, his mission was to be a preacher of the deliverance Deliverance to the captive. Deliverance to the captive. And then also, verse uh, number, uh, was it 19 there, tells us that he was a preacher, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord, coming and proclaiming, hey, listen, the year that the Lord will be crucified, it's my job to preach that. Letter B, we see uh, the Son of Man's mission was to be a physician. To be a physician. Look back there at the verses there. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to, here's the physician part, heal the brokenhearted. Heal the brokenhearted. And what else? To, uh, uh, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind and to set at liberty them that are, are, are bruised. So to heal the brokenhearted and then uh, also to, uh, to recover the sight of the blind, it tells us there. Recover the sight of the blind. And so Jesus came to do those things. Again, Jesus was there for those that were hurting, those that were sick, those that were poor. He came to preach a good message to the poor. He came to preach deliverance for those that were enslaved. He came to preach uh, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord. He came to heal uh, the broken heart. He came to recover the blind. And then letter C, we see that uh, he came to pardon, to pardon. Who did he come to pardon? We'll look back at the verse there. The very end of verse number 19, the last phrase, is set at liberty. Them that are bruised. I'd say it's another interesting study. That word for uh, liberty all throughout the New Testament. The Greek words translated, I believe, four different ways. One of them is remission, interestingly enough. Another one is forgiveness. I'm going off the top of my head here from my study. I didn't put these in my notes. But one is forgiveness, one is remission, uh, 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 and then you have liberty here. Uh, but the idea is to pardon one, to pardon somebody that is stuck. Who did Jesus come to pardon? He came to pardon the bruised. Who had been bruised? How had they been bruised? Those that had been bruised by sin. Jesus came to pardon us. He came to, uh, uh, to heal those that were bruised. I'm going to leave it off there. Next week we're going to pick, pick up in point four. And we're going to look at some examples in the book of Luke how Jesus, the Son of Man, would be that physician. Isn't it interesting how God took Luke, a physician, and had him write about Jesus being a spiritual physician? Isn't that neat? I love how God so carefully chose Matthew to write about God being a king. Matthew who had worked for a king. Mark, uh, who was a servant under so many of the other Prophets to write about being a servant. Luke, a physician, to write about Jesus being the Son of Man and being a physician. We'll jump in and look at some examples of that next week. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. How about you, Christian? Are you busy about 
helping other people or are you busy about helping your own needs? Which is it tonight? Are you serving others or serving yourself? Jesus was the Son of Man. Come to relate with you. Are you guilty of maybe um, distancing yourself from God because you don't think He understands your problems? Don't hide things from God in prayer. He already knows anyway. Tell Him all about it. Tell Him all about it. Lord, I ask tonight You'd help us to embrace You, yes, as God, but also as man. Such an important part of You is how You are 100% man. Help us, Lord, to see this, to understand it, and to be able to bring our burdens to You and allow us to console us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano plays. I'm going to make a decision for the Lord tonight, whatever that might be. And come and kneel. The sermon tonight was more shotgun style. Addressed several different things. But as the Holy Spirit had pressed on your heart, you talk to Him in prayer tonight. Take your, take your burdens to the cross and leave them there. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, how it is so relatable. Would you use it in our hearts? Would you encourage us? Thank you for Wednesday night so we can gather and be encouraged by the Bible and be reminded of our spiritual tasks ahead of us as we head into the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, lots of activities coming up. If you haven't signed up for them and you need to, don't forget to do that out in the lobby after church. Have a good night. God bless you. You're dismissed.